Hey folks, welcome back to the Go Time Podcast. Um, on our first video edition, um, let me see how this goes. I got no idea. Um, I'm having a really good time with doing this. And I like seeing that there's that many people that are enjoying it too. Um, now you get to see whether or not my mother was correct or not when she said I had a face for radio. Um, it's probably pretty true. Today we have Warwick Schiller. Um, it's a really cool interview. I really, um, uh, I like interviewing horsemen because I think that the the guys in our industry are um, extremely intelligent, well-rounded, um, very gifted people. <clears throat> that um, that uh, you shows when you go to show and compete at a high level that you can't just be a knuckle dragger. I mean, you really have to be, you have to be somebody who, um, who is a thinker, somebody who thinks outside the box, um, especially when it comes to training horses, but also uh, running a business. And we all kind of find our way. Um, Warwick is no different. And he's a great, uh, he was a great competitor, uh, a great uh, uh, horseman, somebody that really wanted to know and learn more. And then um, he found uh, his ability to um, communicate and um, and teach other people how to reach another level of their competition and or just training itself and um, and it always does delve back into a little bit of ourselves. Um, competition is really revealing. It really is, and that's why I think so many of us want to want to get better at it, want to reach the accomplishments. But because we know that it's it's going to push yourself, you're going to push you, um, but it's also um, going to make you grow. You always nobody loses whenever it comes to competition. Um, the only one that loses is the one that quits. That's it. It's kind of the whole definition of a black belt and, and anything. It's just a white belt that never quit. And horses, the bigger and better the horsemen, they're usually pretty much older guys because they just didn't quit. Kept doing it. Um, finding the love in the work and um, and work does and so today is episode one we'll have episode two coming up uh, right after this one um, so there's a fighter and two horsemen having a nice conversation hope you enjoy it as much as I did here we go Welcome to the Go Time Podcast. Go Time Podcast. The meeting place of industry leaders, elite athletes, and game-changing individuals from around the world. Here we explore the grit, guts, and mental fortitude required to succeed in business, competition, and life that you've been looking for. So stop looking and start listening. It's Go Time with Brendan O'Reilly and Todd Martin. exactly are you i'm in uh baker city oregon right now oh you got just stand in the shed or something yeah no we're, I'm, we're staying at a friend's place but uh this is uh my recording studio right now it's the shed yeah so i'm out here 
Good. Well, Perfect. Brendan Warwick, Warwick, Brennan, Brendan. There you go, mate. Hey, Warwick, what's going on, mate? Good to uh, hear Aussie accent again. Yeah, you probably don't run into too many. No, definitely not. I'm impressed. I'm impressed how how good you've kept yours. I'm very. It gives me hope because because uh, people tell me I'm going to lose my accent over here, and I nah, it's not happening. You almost got to work on not losing it. Oh yeah, I rec- I come here. I come to America in 1990. I don't know if you're even born yet. And uh, yeah. probably the worst I was was the first week. I watched a video of myself riding a horse, and I rode past the camera and waved at the camera. I said, "Hi, mom. Hi, dad." Oh my god. I can't say that. <laughs> no, no way. No. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. It's just uh I still make sure I say servo. I call the gas station the servo still, so I stay strong, but uh but people but don't really know find out directions to the servo because no one knows what yeah. to Yeah, yeah. People think that I've gone mad. So anyway. Um, how long have you been? How here? long have you how long have you been uh in the States, Warwick? Uh, since 1990, so 31 years. Oh, wow. I mean, we spent four years back in Australia from 2006 to 2010, so we went back for a bit. Um, it's funny, Brandon, we moved back to Australia, and I thought I hadn't lost my Australian accent. When we moved back there, my niece goes, Uncle Warwick, and I said, yeah. And she says, are you ever going to get your Australian accent back? Oh, I was like, oh, no, I did lose it. Yeah, that's my that's my worry because uh, people people say that like you can lose it and you don't know that you've lost it. And my my uh, great auntie actually, she from Australia, she married a uh, a U.S. airman during World War Two and then moved back to the states and lived the rest of her life in the states. And she like to the day she died, thought she still had an Australian accent, and she sounded full-blown american but she thought she sounded australian and i was like is it is it happened to me do i sound american already no nah, you still, uh, still got it you're going all right yeah yeah cool. I remember at one point Good. in time i'd been here for i don't know 10 years or so and one day i was saying did you say beer is it beer 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 yeah beer? 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 and I was, I was having this conversation with myself about how to say beer <laughs> yes i love it <laughs> so where are you from in australia uh, I grew up in Brizzy, actually, right. southeast Queensland. So, uh, yeah, and then just for the recent years before I came to America, I was kind of just being nomadic, got, you know, a bit around a few different places. And my dad's side of the family are from the Northern Rivers in New South Wales, like uh, Kyogle yeah. area, like New Casino. So yeah. I would spend, I would either be down there uh, or working out in Gundawindi uh so just kind of traveling around or in brizzy i'd still go back to brizzy a decent amount so yeah just all that southeast queensland northern new south wales i would just cruise around there just being a you know a bit of a nomad but yeah what about you i'm from uh, a little country town about four hours inland from sydney place called young where all the cherries come from christmas time if you ever had cherries at christmas time they're probably young yeah yeah i know young yeah yeah oh we i went when I was uh, younger, my family, we would always be doing road trips down, down to like Sydney through like the inland inland roads, you know, just going all the country towns and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's nice down there. Yeah, it's cool. So how long have you been here? Yeah, man, on and off since uh, twenty eighteen, probably on on back and forth, and then like I've been back this most recent time. I got stuck at the start of uh 2020 uh i got stuck back in australia with the covid thing and then i got back literally like it'd be nearly a year to the day i got back here last year um yeah because i was just in australia with the whole lockdown and couldn't get out of australia um but then just got back a year ago so yeah that's it yeah we're in my wife went in australia uh, march last year and they just well they just closed down the border to people from the UK coming into the US and we were wondering if we were going to get back in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. It's a bit, it's been a strange time, hey, with all the travel restrictions and uh, who knows, hey, who knows? But man, yeah. Crazy stuff. That's it for sure. That's got to be really crazy. 
I, for you guys down, I mean, over there, they, they're doing some crazy lockdowns over there, huh? I think they are now. Um, you know, they kind of had it to where they didn't have it there. And I don't think many people got vaccinated. And then when it did come in there, it kind of took off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's been a while. Yeah. I think it's just uh, like exactly what Warwick said is like, it was, it was kind of like this perfect oasis because there was not much COVID there, but then it's like, then it got in and now it's kind of like what happened in the U S a year ago or a year and a half ago, whenever it was, you know, uh, it's just kind of now it's getting it's it's like it's like most things like all our movies come out later in Australia too and like fashion trends so I guess it just uh, COVID's the same we're just coming out a bit later you know <laughs> behind the time I, I just wonder about that because they had that uh, I follow that uh, Lemos guy oh yeah 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 and just it looked like he was they were shutting him down or his, his gym down and stuff and I just kind of wondered yeah. about that yeah that's it so yeah everything's sort of i don't know shut down but hopefully hopefully they get it all sorted and it's just who knows back to normal i just try to uh who knows my you know friends and family seem all right and uh can't keep them down can't keep their spirits down so just keep living life i guess yeah so so warwick what are what when you came over in 19 did you say 99 or 1990 1990 oh damn okay so what brought like what made you make that shift over uh initially you know i wanted to come over and, and learn how to train uh reining horses is what i want to do and i just wanted to do it for myself mm-hmm. like you know i was going to come over for a year work for someone and go back and just you know muck around with my own horses at home and uh yeah i worked, I worked for this bloke for a year and uh the day i was leaving his place to go back to Australia. We know we shook hands on the veranda and he says, you know, if you, if you want to come back, I'll give you another job. He said, you could do this for a living if you wanted to. And I'd never, yeah. I'd never considered that, you know, some people are kind of full of themselves and I don't mean full of themselves in a bad way, but like really self-confident and like, you know, want to get their goals. And, and uh, yeah. I wasn't that way, you know, growing up, my family is kind of like, so how it goes is you go to school, then you get a job, then you get married, then you have some kids and then you're dead. That's about yeah. what life is. So, there, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, big dreamers in our family or, you know, major achievers or anything. So, you know, thinking that I could, I could do that for a living was, you know, wasn't really in my mindset at the time. And, so, and mm-hmm. that's, that's been most of my stuff in my life. I mean, I've kind of, most of the good stuff in my life, I've kind of fallen into not real, not really gung ho planned it sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Do you think that's you... like? Oh, sorry, Todd. No, go uh, ahead. I was just going to say, do you think that worry that's like a little bit of uh, like a, a difference in culture in Australia too? Like, is uh, I noticed like because I've sort of felt the same way with things where I would fall into them more only because it's like I didn't. I didn't give myself permission to 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 dream that big because uh, I I've just found like in Australia it's kind of more like you don't you don't say that yourself you wait for someone else to give you that accolade and uh, but you're it's you kind of can't say it yourself um, that's what yeah. I found anyway yeah, I think it's part of that tall poppy syndrome thing that Australia has that that is a part of that yeah hmm yeah yeah that's interesting i mean that's a part of it i mean you know but we're all wide a bit different and i'm wide a bit different than a lot of people and um yeah but i do think the tall poppy thing was a part of it you know i i didn't really even understand why we had tall poppy syndrome when i lived in australia and when they had the olympics in sydney in 2000 you know i'd lived in america for 10 years at the time and i'd seen three things on the news to do with australia in that whole 10 years one yeah. was a kangaroo with an arrow sticking out of its neck. Yeah. One was when the ski lodge at Jindabyne collapsed. And one yeah. was when a bloke ran for Miss Surface Paradise. And so <laughs> you didn't get a you didn't get a lot of uh Aussie stuff. And so when the, the Olympics comes on, all these American journalists go over there and you know they they're reporting all this stuff about Australia and the newspaper and on the news and stuff. So it was pretty cool. But I read an article about, you know, they heard about this tall poppy syndrome and what's it all about. And and it explained it way better than I ever knew it. So, 
you know, Australia was settled a lot by freed convicts. You know, they were free settlers, but a lot of the people that ended up there were were convicts and had served their time and they got out. And at the time, the you know, the the police and the government were pretty darn brutal, you know, they catch you, flog you, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And so you basically kept your head down and and you know, kept your head down and you know, no, you didn't want to stick out, you didn't want to be noticed by anybody. You know, notice yeah. the you know, the Australian national costume, what's that? And a bloody dryzer bone, you know, blend. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's it basically explained that's that's where it come from that you you know you you didn't you didn't want to stand out. Whereas Americans, you know, Americans fought for their freedom and they're like they're proud of it and they're patriotic. And you know, when I was a kid uh, growing up in Australia, you know, patriotic American flag waving Americans that was just like weird. You know what I mean? And the Australians had a kind of a bad taste in their mouth about Americans, mostly because of what happened to your grand, great-grandmother, whoever it was, you know, like fellas of my yeah. father's generation, you know, all these, during the uh, the Second World War, you know, all these uh, handsome young GIs pulled into Sydney and, and Brisbane and, and picked up all the good-looking Sheilas, you know, and, and uh, so, you know, there was, there was just, there's always been a bit of an undercurrent, it's different now, but there's always been a, a, an almost a very subtle... Yeah anti-american undercurrent and i think that's why it's it's not cool to get an american accent you know for an australian whereas an american goes to australia the first thing they want to do is pick up the slang and you know yeah i get it yep yep that, that makes a lot of sense now i just realized i'm the only one with really an accent because you guys you kind of know and avoid me <laughs> yeah exactly you have, you're the one with the you're accent in, you're yeah. in our world now so so was that yep. Was that really different for you to be able to, like when you started to go in the show pen, as far as like actually training to go and compete? Because was that, was that something that you had done before or had aspirations of doing? Um, you know, well, we competed at stuff as, as kids and things like that. But, you know, I was talking about some of this the other day and I just said to Mindy, go, uh, we're a wide a bit different. You know, it's, I said to my wife the other day, actually, I said, remember at school and if you had PE and like there's the, you, you, they pick two captains and then the captain would pick a person, the other one pick a person. And she said, yeah. And I said, I was damn near picked last. So I, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of uh, athletic ability. It wasn't all that coordinated and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, I'd say I probably didn't have a whole lot of self-confidence or self-belief, you know? And for me, I was just, I was happy to be included. You know, basically everything I've done all my life, I was kind of happy to be included. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, you know, naturally talented or anything to where I was striving to be the best. Like if I, like, and I was the youngest of, you know, I've got two older brothers. And so if I got in, if I was allowed to play the game, I was just happy to play the game, you know, you know, and so, you know, I was more interested in the horse training than the competing part, but that's just part and parcel of it, you know, so I had to, you know, I had to start to, to mess with that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of wild because I was I was uh, 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 I kind of was the uh, a little on the opposite side I I kind of was looking at um, trying to I always saw the pin the show pin as a place for me to uh, I think at the beginning it was a lot of trying to prove who I was you know yeah. and so um, that's you know I'm that was kind of my main goal in doing it where instead of like, and I think now it's a lot more, it's kind of flipped, right? That now it's like, I, I really have the desire to be the horseman that I, that I, I feel like I should be, you know? Yeah. You know, I think not being a real driven competitor sort of a thing helped me train horses, you know, like in the horse deal, you, you've got to be a, a good trainer, but then you've got to be a good showman or, you know, some people are one or the other. And the really good mm -hmm. guys can do both really well. I always trained better than I showed, I guess, because I'm, I'm pretty patient and I'm not that, you know, I'm not that gung ho. So, you know, the, the training part, I think was a whole lot easier for me going in there and showing. And I think, you know, for me, showing for a long time was hard just because you've got that, um, Oh, what will they think? You know, you, you're worried about what other people think. Like people, you know, the, the judge is watching, my clients watch, and some, you know, other trainers are watching, and all that crap's going through your head. And you, you I mean, you can't do that and be good. And it took me, you know, it took me a long time to to figure that out. But um, yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, that that is that's a tough place to get through. Um, I I think it's kind of a crazy deal. The horse, the occupation of being a horse trainer, you know, and and one that goes towards showing and stuff is kind of like a it's it's a, there's like an inner battle <laughs> in it at some point. Um, I, I was funny. I had uh, like I always have all these uh, comments or or something that somebody said to me at a certain time in my career that just kind of was like, you know, gave me a light bulb moment where it's like, Oh, smackers, man. I never even thought of that. Casey Deary one time said to me before I went into the pen, um, I, I asked him how he dealt with that. Like, how do you get over, um, you know, how do you, how do you turn off that trainer mode when you're going into show, you know, cause I, you know, I'm training for the perfection and then to turn loose to the perfection when I go to the show pen was like a difficult thing to let go. And, uh, and his comment was really, it was really pretty good. He said, um, well, you just got to take that hat off and put the other hat on. And he says, if I figure, if I go in there and I do my job and go show and pay attention and do my part and ask for the lead change, what I'm supposed to ask for the lead change, if it doesn't change leads, that's the trainer's fault, not mine. I'm here to show. I thought, wow, like never, ne I, I never gave myself permission to like, turn loose of it and go do my job yeah you know but casey though he i mean i i think that guy's a pretty centered individual you know what i mean yeah. he you know like out of any of those guys that are as good as he is he's he's got no ego that guy and he, no you know he's a different one right yeah he's you know yeah he's he's a different kettle of fish. I, I tell you what that guy is completely comfortable in his own skin he doesn't have to prove anything to anybody and i think a lot of guys are out there showing because they they almost feel like they don't feel like they're enough if they don't win something you know you know my yeah. my self-worth is is dependent on what i win that's not with casey casey he can win he can lose and, and he doesn't lose very much but you know he's just yeah i mean that guy i think he's a pretty centered individual yeah i agree i agree he looks at it a really different way you know, when he goes in, he's one of the few guys that I can, you know, we can be in the warm-up pen and getting ready to go in. And um, he's joking and laughing and he'll interact with somebody on the side and whatever and joke around. And half the other guys are going like, shut up and leave me alone. I can't talk to you. I can't look at you, you know. Yeah. Um, and and he's he's still there enjoying it just as much as, you know, when he's walking out. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, he's a, you know, he's a different kettle of fish. I got, I got a lot of respect for that guy. Yeah. And you know, you know, how to live life. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and, and, and really he's, uh, I mean, I, he's one of the ones I call to get, you know, help on training. He's actually, you know, he's a really good showman too. I mean, really good trainer too. Um, well, he's, he's a, I think he's the total package cause he can train, he can show, but he can teach. I mean, I, I, you know, most of what I do these days is, is teaching and the, the reason, you know, it's, what I do most is because it's a, the thing I'm the best at because I can explain things to people in a way they can understand. And it might be stuff that a lot of other people have told them that they, they didn't get in a way they can understand. And here at Raining by the Bay, a few years ago, they had a afternoon where they had a, uh, it was called Ride a Rainer and they had these local jumping trainers and dressage trainers come and, and ride some rainers. There was four of them. And so Casey and I did it. And I spent the afternoon getting like schooled on how to teach people. Like I thought I could teach. I'm a, I'm a pretty good. I, I can get my ideas across. That guy can do that too. I mean, he, he can do the whole bit. Like he's the whole package. Mm. He really is. It's he's a, he's a really unique individual. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I said, he's just got, got, you know, uh, he's got no ego and he's got no baggage. I mean, he just, he's, he's pretty straight up. Mm -hmm. yeah so warwick uh one one question i've got for you mate is like uh i've over the years i've followed your stuff quite a bit actually like your training tips and i've used them a lot and i've noticed uh like more recently what i've noticed which i really i love and it kind of resonates a lot with me is i pick up a lot now like your uh the relationship with the horse like that individual relationship with each horse is really important to you and uh has that always been the case was it the case before you even started showing 
or is that something that you've almost gone full circle and you've come back to you know or was it always there throughout your 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 actual show career as well no it's it's a full circle thing you know i you know i would have i started you know i grew up on a 1200 acre sheep and wheat farm and you know used to ride our horse and stuff like that and i was you know i was pretty sensitive Mm -hmm. sort of a kid and um really animals and stuff and then as you get into you know i got into Mm -hmm. hey this guy told me I could train horses for a living and you get into the whole horse trainer mode and, and they just kind of become a, you know, a piece of equipment sort of a thing. And I really got into yeah. the whole horsemanship sort of stuff because I wanted to learn how to get into these horses minds more to be able to get what I wanted out of them more. And the, and the yeah. further I went down that rabbit hole, the more I come to realize, you know, that, that um, there's the subtle levels of tension that horses hold because of the way we interact with them and, and, uh, you know, they're mammals, they're wired for, wired for social interaction, just like we are. And what I started, you know, really finding out was, was if you can get into the relationship level, there's so much training you don't yeah. have to do. Like there's, you don't have to, uh, what I realized is you, a lot of the earlier interactions we have with horses leaves them with a bit of, a bit of tension in their body, very subtle, but yeah. then you have to train that tension out of them. And then, oh, this horse is yeah. stiff and this horse is rigid and this horse, they're not stiff or rigid. It's just, it's just, uh, it's really nervous system stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I kind of, I, my wife bought a, a running horse a few years ago and, and uh, he, uh, he was just a bit weird. And uh, turns out he was really, really shut down, you know, like really in yeah. his own head. And yeah. I, what I figured out with him was I couldn't train that out of him. Like nothing I knew how to do could fix that. And it took me a while to, you know, I lucky I travel around the world, do clinics and stuff. And so you get to experiment with a lot of horses. And what I realized is, ah, that's horses that are shut down is you, you cannot train the shutdown out of them. You can train anxiety out of one, like outward anxiety. You can do yeah. things to them to help with that. But when they're shut down, you've got a you've got a relationship that out of them. And once I got into doing that sort of stuff, and I took a bit of a deep dive into my personal stuff too, and realized, oh shit, this horse that um, is shut down, he made me realize I've been shut down most of my life. Um, yeah. A few years ago at a horse expo, I did a, so them horse expos, when you present at them, a lot of times you're in the arena with a horse, but sometimes you could do like a stand up stage sort of a deal, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I've, so I've got some prepared talks I do for those sorts of things. And one that I've done a number of, number of times for a few years was called everything I learned in life I learned from horses. And you get up there and you mm-hmm. talk about life lessons you learned from horses. And this particular one was in um, Madison, Wisconsin. And I got up there and had a big old yarn in front of a couple hundred people for an hour and an hour and a half or something. And I probably let out more than I'd let out before. And uh, I went back to the booth and I was next to our booth was a a lady named Barbara Schulte. And so Barbara Schulte is like a mindset coach. You know, she's in the cowgirl hall of fame. Um, And I went past her booth and she said, "Uh, did you, uh, how'd it go? And I said, I'm exhausted. I feel like I've been run over by a truck. And she's like, and I said, well, I kind of, I kind of let out some more stuff than I was planning to. Yeah. You know, like, I'm like stuff I may not have told people before. And she said something about, you know, well, vulnerability is the ultimate badassery. You know, she said, uh, and then she mentioned a, a lady named Brene Brown and she said something about Brene Brown. And I'm like, never heard of Brene Brown. But anyway, I came home from that, that um, thing and started, got some audio books on this Brene Brown lady. And uh, she's like a therapist sort of a lady, but in one of her books, she said, you cannot selectively suppress emotions. And so if you suppress the lower emotions, like fear, dread, things like that, you also automatically suppress the higher emotions, like joy and happiness and all that. And I thought, hmm, well, that's interesting. I mean, you know, growing up in Australia, male in rural Australia, boys don't cry, boys don't show fear. And in my family, we don't show grief. Like I've been to funerals where they go, oh, well, he's dead. You know, yeah. and like you don't kind of get emotional about anything like that. And I thought, well, I know that's suppressed, but I've never thought about the joy, the happiness, that sort of thing. And so I started um, seeing a therapist to see if we could yeah. you know, get yeah. some of that stuff. And, and that took me on a big old long dive. And the, and the horse journey and that journey has kind of gone uh, yeah. side by side. And 
yeah, it's been it's been it's been really interesting. But yeah, these days I'm really interested in with the horses. It's really interested in the relationship stuff. Um, and I, initially it was because oh, this is what works. This is what gets them to do what I want them to do. Yeah. But after a while, I just like the relationships anyway. You know what I mean? It's not yeah, like I'm doing it, it because just I'm I'm kind of digging. I'm kind of digging that that relationship sort of thing and it and it's you know it's changed me to where my relationships with every human being i come in contact with is is different too you know for a long time i had this you know kind of a kind of a wall up you know you kind of have this this bit of a barrier up and it's just a protection mechanism you know um yeah and uh, once you once you start to to play with that stuff and look into that oh god it's a rabbit hole there's no end to it but yeah but there's also no going back like you, you don't kind of go no i want to go back to how i used to feel yeah that's it yeah yeah and and uh it's funny like some of the things you said there and, and things like i've experienced and felt is uh it it it's so true like how you say it's like once you open that box it's out you know and uh it's like, uh, and it kind of relates to what you're saying about Casey Deary, how he was such a centered individual and he like unsurprisingly did really well because it's like the horses can see through you. They, and, and can sort of see to the, they can see through the smoke to what's really there. Yep. And, uh, and it's like, if you're putting out more and more smoke, they may not see they may not see what's the intention, but they can see that something's not real there. And that makes them uneasy, I guess. And that's where, like how you said, it can, it can be hard to get through to them because they may not, they might, might know what's wrong, but they know something's wrong because, yep. because they can see that you're not being real with them, you know? And uh, that, and I guess, so that's what is so amazing about them as creatures is they force us to be real with them and real with ourselves. If we have to be effective with them. Yeah, I mean, you can, you know, you can train them into to not paying attention to that stuff, you know, because for the longest time I had no, I had no, um, really no emotions. And so I didn't get mad and sad and made good training horses when you've got no emotions because you don't get pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. not mad, sad, happy, whatever. And um, I think I was good at training horses to not pay any attention to the energy of the human. But you've kind of yeah. kind of dull a horse down a bit to do that. But um, have you ever heard of a book? called the mask of masculinity by a fellow named lewis howes no haven't so lewis howes was an all-american college athlete i think i think he might have played in the nfl a tiny bit i'm not sure um ended up being a decathlete i think but he uh wrote this book called the masks of masculinity and he talks about these different masks that men develop to hide their emotions because we're not supposed to show emotions you know and and then he talks about how sometimes you end up being successful in life for whatever, whatever you do. And it's just your, it's just your mask. And he talks about like, there's the, you know, there's the, what they call the Joker mask. And he talks about Robin Williams. And it says, he said that most professional comedians have severe depression. Mm -hmm. And and it is because they're so good. they're, They're a professional comedian because they, you know, if, if the situation's got kind of tense or, whatever you know they always crack a joke you know i could never have a real serious conversation he talks about robin williams in that but there's the you know there's the alpha male mask there's the all sorts of different masks and he talks about you know like a lot of ceos are successful because of their mask and so you you become or or athletes too you're successful but you're miserable inside because and, and he said what you've got to be able to do is you've got to be able to figure out what's your what's your mask you know if you're successful because of a mask yeah. Then, then you can go and fix that you can still be successful and it's interesting i don't know if you've watched much of old um mike tyson these days have you listened to yeah. him these days? Yeah, I've listened that different guy hey that that dude and i was listening to one the other day he said all that was fear that was yeah. that wasn't the most yeah. fearsome man, man on the planet that was a scared little boy and all yeah. that all that stuff was just his, his fear. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know, I don't know if you've, you've listened to what he did to figure that out, but 
I did the same thing recently. Did he do, was it like ayahuasca or? No, it was a bufo toad. A what? It's a, what? Bufo, it's, it's a toad, it's a South American toad, it's a Sonoran desert toad that has this poison on its back and they, they scrape that poison off there. Yeah. And then in a shamanic ceremony, you smoke it. And if you, yeah, that's what, that's what Mike did. And, 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 I, it, and, it and I, and I, and I had a session with a, a Native American shaman recently did too. Huh. Life does it, and does it just make you, it just, it just strips back all the, like, there is no hiding from the truth. Is that, um, that's what know, I, that I've heard. I, I've done ayahuasca. I went to Florida a few years ago yeah. and did a three day ayahuasca ceremony. That strips the truth yeah. back. That all the shit you've been hiding okay. from yourself, it opens you up yeah. and you're going to stare into this pit full of all this shit that you've thrown in there and you said i don't you know it you got to look yeah. it in the face but the 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 the, the bufo thing uh yeah it's, it's it's it was basically what they talk about an ego death where you where you, you're just a spirit and not a body anymore and so you have yeah. to you have to let go of that and yeah. uh, you have to let go of the fact that you're this meat sack here and you're just a you're just a soul and when you can let go of that, when you yeah. come back, you still remember that this is this is nothing. This is really yeah, not much doing anything. Yeah, it's it was pretty pretty intense. Man, that's cool. That sounds that sounds confronting, but cool. You know, uh, that one wasn't confronting. The 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 ayahuasca. That's that's the worst thing you've ever done and the best thing you've ever done. But yeah, it was scary as hell. Yeah, mm. yeah. Have you only done it the one time? Well, it was three ceremonies, but yeah, only the only the, the yeah, okay, only the one time. After doing that, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I got the balls to ever do that again. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard some things like that. Like, no one said it was not a good idea, but uh, they, you know, they all said they're glad they did it, but they say that it was like, uh, you know, they had to confront what they were trying to run from for a long time. You know. Yeah, it's almost like if they put you in a room with people, like in a room with people who knew every one of your secrets yeah. and they all had a list of questions and they were just asking you, except you're doing it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're yeah. putting yourself in the hot seat sort of thing. And then um, last year was it? Yeah, middle of last year, I went to a three day, what was called a men's emotional resilience retreat Yeah, with this fella. He's a former air force officer. He's, uh, you know, has done a lot of like men's work stuff, but, there was eight of us at this three-day men's emotional resilience retreat for the weekend. Like one was a former UN hostage negotiator uh, from South Africa. There's 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 men from every end of the scale. There's a guy from um, Kansas who's a filmmaker and he was like a very sensitive sort of a guy. And there was this you know UN hostage negotiator dude. And it all freaking out. It all the, the whole weekend. It all came down to every single one of us had the same root wound so to speak the, the root the, the same issue and didn't matter if you're a tough guy or a weakling you know what i mean they all come yeah. down basically all scared little boys and it was and it was funny listening to mike mike tyson talk about the bufo thing recently like and he said i was just a scared little boy i'm like yeah there you go it just yeah. it just depends how that just depends how that scared little boy how that how that plays out in the world you know what i mean yeah but yeah. but but fixing that stuff you know um yeah solving solving that stuff understanding that stuff and 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 uh, getting to the root of that's pretty liberating because you do tell yourself a lot of stories about yourself yeah that you don't even know you tell yourself these stories and yeah man that sounds so that sounds pretty cool like powerful a powerful moment to like to get to you know, for then to open a door for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, the, it's not, it's I, not easy, but it's cool. I wonder like on, on that, um, like trying to, to, so I wonder if doing that, it's, it's kind of like the, the oxygen mask in the airport, you know, or in the airplane is that, you know, like you don't get a hold of them and, yourself come to terms with who and what you are and are real with yourself you can't help whether it's the horse or 
what it's leading your family properly or, you know, what it is that you're doing. If you're working from a, you know, from a messed up place in yourself, you know, and you don't realize where and what you are or where, what it is that you're dealing with, whether it's, you know, being a, a scared little boy or, you know, that reacts like you're scared or reacts like you're tough or reacts like, you know, whatever it is. If you don't want to deal with that part, then how are you going to help? Like for me, obviously for us as, as horsemen, you know, wanting to be able to, you know, get our horses to another place, be able to, you know, it's one thing to get a horse to another place, but it's also as a showman, the part that I love is, is getting a, me and the horse to work together in that, that point where we're both on, both on our game you know, and the other is me being able to, um, I guess me being able, I can't, if I, I can't help my kids, right, deal with trauma in their lives, if I don't come to terms with, you know, what, who I am and what I'm doing too. Is that, I mean, is that, is, are you start? are you at the point where you're starting to find that's making a difference in your, um, uh, in your clinics with the horses, but also clinics with the people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, most certainly. You know, for quite a long time there, at clinics, there were people that I could help quite a lot of them with their horses, but there were some people I used to think, you know what, you should get a cat, preferably an outside cat, because I'm thinking, you're not good with horses, but it's what I realize now, it's not that they're not good with horses. They're not good with themselves. They're not, yeah. they're not good within themselves. And so, you know, I've been sharing a lot of my, at these clinics, I, I don't, just do the horse training stuff, but I talk a lot about my journey and uh, how, what a difference it's made. And the thing about doing that is when you point something out to them, you've already shared your stuff. And so they can, they can take it, you know, I, cause I used to never go with the, you're the problem sort of thing. You know what I mean? Cause people don't come to hear that, but when you, you know, when you, you might go, uh, you know, someone might do something and I say, what were you thinking right then? And they'll go, Oh yeah, I was thinking about the worst cost possible scenario, wasn't it? Whereas they might not have done that before. They'd be they'd they'd be telling you some story, but yeah, yeah. I I think yeah, I really think that um, you know when I was at that that um, emotional resilience retreat, that one of the guys there was a fireman, and his wife is a barrel racer, and uh, he's not a horsey guy, but he said to me, he said, um, my wife told me one time that your horse is a reflection of you. So does that mean if your horse is an arsehole, you're an arsehole? And I said, no, no, it's not really a direct reflection, but if whatever part of you, you know, you need to be a whole human being with access to all the parts in order to help your horses. And so, you know, like, like a lot of women are, are maybe too timid and there's a part to where they need to have firmer boundaries with their horses, or a lot of men are too angry and they need to be a bit more patient. And it's not like, it's not a one size fits all thing, but if you're too, if you're too quick to anger, that's going to get in the way. If you're too timid, that's going to get in the way. If you're, you know, just got to get things done and you, you can't slow down, that's going to get in your way. If you do things too slow, that's going to get in your way. So it's, they're almost like they, you know, the, the problems that they show us are not so much a reflection of us, but in order to help them solve the problem, we might have to solve some of our problems too, you know. You know, um, I, I, I'm, I've got a three-year-old this year that um, it's been a while. I haven't had a, I haven't had a maturity horse in quite a long time. It's kind of a fun deal, you know. Kind of thinking about getting one back in the pen to go into maturities and stuff. And and um, and this one is, um, it's it's a pretty cool one. I haven't had him, but maybe a couple months. And, um, and he, something that I've noticed on him, he's really, really, really talented. Um, like his abilities are, um, you know, you, you know, you know how it is. You feel one and you're just like, man, like this thing could dance if you wanted to. Right. And, um, and the first probably month that I've had him, you know, month and a half, um, I've spent with him trying to trying to get him because he's kind of a little he's got all this talent for me you go you know push on him and you're like he's been pushed pretty hard a little bit and he's you know and he's a, he's a little resentful 
and he's resentful of my spur, you know, so his first reaction is to move off of it. First reaction is to kind of lean into it. And, you know, and it's, and it's all a defensive kind of deal. And, um, and, you know, I kind of, kind of played around with a little bit like, Hey, you know, look, you know, straighten up. And then also I've tried a couple of different deals with him trying to figure it out. Casey actually helped me with a, a pretty cool little exercise that kind of really helped get some forward back into him. But it's really odd because I was looking at, I was watching your deal where you're doing the, uh, I can't remember what you call them, his lock, lock step or just walking your, your oh, next step. Yeah, yeah. yeah, with your, with your wife's horse. Um, I was watching the video on it the other day. And, um, and I, as I was playing with him the past couple of days, I've noticed that he's not the, he's not quite the little, cause I just cut him about two months ago too. He's not quite the little turd that I thought he might have been. I really think that he is, he's the, um, he's a, he's a joker. Like he's a real, he's a, he, you know, he kind of thinks he's funny. He's not, you know, but he's that he, you know, he's a joker and he wants to interact. He's so much like a teenage boy that does the dumb things, thinks he's funny and looking for the, you know, guy goosening back to play around and that kind of stuff. And the past two days I've been, I've been dealing with him completely differently and he's a freaking ham. I mean, he's just a complete ham and and I, and, and, and I get to where I'm like, uh, you know, there's part where I'm like, you know, okay, so get serious and play any, you no, know, oh, oh, he gets a little worried about it. But if we can kind of joke about it, I've come in through the back door, which I have not done a lot, you know, um, it's been pretty enlightening. I mean, it really has kind of, you know, letting go and, you know, I'm not running that I have to win anything, or I think I need to prove anything or like that. I'm really enjoying this one. And, um, and being able to stop, step back and kind of see his personality for what he is has been actually really enjoyable. You know, I had a, my wife bought a horse a few years back now, about four years ago, I think. And, uh, I, I must've, we, we, we tried him out and then I went to Australia to do some clinics. And so he arrived here while I was gone. Anyway, I get back and she goes, that new horse, he's a dick. I'm like, is he? She goes, oh, he's an absolute dick. Like he's always trying to bite you and he's just a dick. And so, you know, I've got in my head, this horse is a dick. And after a couple of days, I'm like, hang on. I don't think this horse is trying to bite me. I think he's trying to like, how are you going? And that's where I first started. Like, instead of trying to stop him from biting me, I'm like, I think he just wants to kind of, kind of play. He's the first one I messed with it with. And within a week, he was a completely different horse. And and it's, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm into some weird stuff these days. I'm really into quantum physics and the observer effect and all that stuff. You know, you create your own reality and thinking that horse was a dick was making him a dick. Oh yeah. And I stopped thinking he was a dick and looked at it differently. And I'm a big fan of a fellow named Wayne Dyer who says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at changes. When I started interacting with this horse, well, I got rid of the story that he was being a dick. And started interacting like, oh, he's just like, he's wanting to say hi. He's like, how you going? It was a different horse, but I had to be a different yeah. person for him to be a different horse. And it, there was no training involved in that. It was just a different outlook on what he was presenting to me. And that was a big eye opener for me to, to like, yeah, there's this story that you, we attach to what they're doing. And then the energy we bring and the intention we bring and the attitude we bring based on that story yeah, is it self-propelled? You know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes it 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 screws with your purpose on what you're doing. Like I swear, this 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 cult is he's like he's like the young Steve Martin. Like, <laughs> I just see him as like the young Steve Martin in the jerk, you know, just yeah. you know, just a dip, you know. But he's he thinks he's funny. <laughs> And, um, and I'm starting to think that he's funny too now. Yeah, it's, it's, the, and, and that, you know, when that whole thing, um, it, it's the, it's the same with, with, with life. You know, I probably, when was it? 2018, I didn't do any clinics. I took the year off from clinics. We did the world of question games and that was, I did a, a, a whole year of therapy that year. 
and trying to figure out this, you know, this emotion stuff that I didn't know much about. And one of the, the um, homeworks we had to do for this therapy, because I was going to individual and group therapy, I was all in, uh, was we used to have homework every week. And one of the homeworks was, okay, so this week, what you're going to do is you're going to count your judgmental thoughts and like get a clicker, like, you know, like bus conductors or bouncers at nightclubs have and, or put some pebbles in your pocket, whatever. And when you have a judgmental thought, move the pebbles over. And I'm like, well, that'll be easy. I'll just, I'll only have about three a day. So I'll put three rocks in this pocket in the morning. By the end of the day, I'll have three rocks in this pocket. The first day I started, I had 21 before breakfast. Yeah. And what I realized, what you realize about, not only about the judgmental thoughts you have, once you start being aware of those judgmental thoughts, at least for me, you start being aware of how many you have about yourself and how much you beat yourself up over stuff. And um, anyway, at the end of that year, I went back to traveling again. And the first airport I was in, I'm walking along, and I'm a people watcher. You know, I watch people in airports and I'm walking along and I'm watching all the people. And then I realized I'm not a people watcher. I'm a people judger. I'm not looking at the best thing about each person I look at. I'm looking for the worst thing. I'm looking for something to, because, you know, Australians are very, you know, like in Australia, your worst enemy is a bastard and your best mate's a bloody bastard. You know, like we're very negative. Oh, yes. And um, I'd be walking, I realized every person I look at, I am thinking, you know, what are you doing dressed like that? Did you have a, don't you have a comb? You need a shave. You know, you're too, you need to stay away from the cookies. You need to eat some cookies, you know, whatever. And so then I went, okay, I'm going to do something different. So I'm walking through the airport and every person walking towards me, I looked them in the eye and I gave them a little eye smile, whether they looked at me or not. And I thought to myself, may you be happy. May you be happy. May you be happy. May you be happy. And I got to my gate. And by the time I got to my gate, I had a different energy inside me. I had this light, happy, joyous sort of energy in me, which is totally opposite of the normal energy I have, which is kind of heavy and dull and dark sort of thing, which is normal for me, which I, so I don't even know I have it. But just changing that, like changing that, you know, you, you, look, at, you look at someone instead of judging them, you just wish them well was a game changer like it was we had a completely different energy and so it's you think about how much horses read your energy like you talked yeah. before brendan about, about um you know they they read all that stuff and so yeah just just looking at things um you know looking at things in a positive light and not a negative light it changes the thing you look at really yeah Man, that's so that's so true, Warwick. And it, uh, man, I'm I uh, I feel really blessed because I uh, and you, like I grew, I grew up around horses. I grew up around like you. I'm sure you can relate to, it and a lot of people can. Like just the old school way of uh, like my my pop was a horse trainer and a racehorse trainer, and it was just all get it done, like speed. You know, if they had to get on a trailer, we're getting them on now. You know, like. Uh, and uh, that was normal uh, to me. And, you know, you get things done and they get done. And it's not that it's not like effective in a way, I guess. But uh, one of the, of the best horsemen I was around, uh, when I really started to try and like dive deeper into it, he's a super good uh, like stockman and cowboy, but he's super like spiritual, you know, about like re his relationship with horses and his energy. And he sort of, he really opened my eyes to like uh, just your energy, like you're in your body, you know, like your posture and everything. They're just reading it all the time. And, uh, and, and that's why like, if like uh, a person who's having a terrible time in their, in internally, if they're trying to say, you see, I'm trying to round pen a horse, you can see it just, it's going downhill fast, you know? Whereas someone who's like more centered internally can, can get, get it done in there. And it's, and it's, uh, it sort of relates back to what you're saying about the mirror thing. It's not a direct mirror, but it, it's, you can see that there's something going on internally in you that needs to be fixed to be able to get what you need done. And, uh, and hearing that from a guy who I could see doing real jobs all the time, I was like, Whoa, cause he could show me like in an instant, you know, uh, and it's amazing how, the, for me, like I started seeing it 
through horses and then through the horses I started seeing it in the rest of my life like you just said where my energy around people would change those people um and it, it makes sense like we all we all know that person who or we've all been around at least one person uh where or maybe we've been that person too where if they walk into a room you're like whoa I don't really want to go I don't really want to chat to that person like they don't really seem open and then there's the person who they walk into a room and everyone wants to go say hi to them and, and yep. that sort of thing and it's uh man it, it sometimes trying to convey that to people especially when I try to talk to people because I think they don't expect it coming from me they kind of they wonder like if I've been smoking something or, or what because uh I get right into talking about the energy but and that's why I love, uh, and I would say it too, to that when I was coaching fighters a lot, um, it was it was the same thing, like round penning a a horse, and and in like in a fight, and people don't really relate it because uh, in a fight they think of anger, but it's it's absolutely not. It's just an exchange of energy, and you're trying to use your energy to control the energy of the of your opponent, and it's, so it's basically the same thing as round penning. Um, and, and I started talking to fighters about that, where if, if your opponent's energy is too high and your energy is too high, it just becomes this chaotic mess. So if things are too chaotic, you need to bring your energy down to try and get the energy, like relax things. And, uh, it's the same thing you, you would see it all the time with people around horses is, uh, oftentimes they're saying this horse is this, this horse is like, whatever, he's hot. But it's their it's their energy that is making the situation like that. Yeah, I started noticing it. I started noticing it without even know I was doing it. But you know, at clinics for years, you know, people that have a horse that's got a problem, they'd hand me the horse and then I'd do something and I'd fix the horse. But yeah, about five years ago, people have this horse that's all wound up and they'd hand me the lead rope and the horse would come up and go, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. And the first few times it happened, I thought, that was weird. That was a coincidence, you know. He just happened to get all these energy out about the time I got him. But then I started noticing it more and more. And it's like, then I started pointing it out to people. Mm. Saying, now, I didn't do something right then, but I've been doing a lot of stuff that's not in the arena, that's away yeah. from the horses. And it's, you know, it's, it's a lot to do with, you know, what you focus on and things like that. And I, I tell a story at clinics. And so tell me a bit more about you, uh, Brennan, so you a uh, uh, mixed martial arts? Is that what you used to do? Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, I started actually with with like in in martial arts. I started with boxing and got into Brazilian jiu jitsu, and so I ended up fighting professionally for like uh, probably ten years. I was fighting professionally, um, and uh, and for most uh, like the early part of it, it was all just. Uh, a physical thing like i just like you know i was training hard and all that and then right near the end and it was so before i got into fighting i was i was always around horses riding and I, that's what i wanted to do and it was this weird dive diversion of what i wanted my career to be that i ended up fighting but it was only coming back like really delving deeper into horsemanship near the end of my career that i i realized there's this whole other level to martial arts which is it it is basically the same thing as horsemanship which is the truth is going to find you and your ability to transcend to another level is is directly related to your ability to accept that truth you know and uh if you don't want to face that truth you're going to be stuck at a real at a certain level whether it's with horsemanship or with being a martial artist because it both of them are journeys i feel like at the start, whether it's horsemanship or uh, martial arts, it's a journey outwards. Like we're, we're looking for some external validation, whether it's like winning like a camp draft, winning reigning shows, winning fights. But then once, you, once, you, once that thing changes in your head and you transcend that level, it becomes a journey inwards. Everything, everything further on is a journey within yourself. And, uh, and, and then that just opens up both of those worlds to where you can get a lot better. Um, but it's not cause you're trying to, it's cause you're trying, you're journeying deeper right. into yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. You, you get into it for one reason and then we, in, you get to a point in order to get better, you've got to, you know, it's, it's not about that stuff. It's about what's in here. But what I was going to say was at clinics, a lot of times I'll talk about a story I heard years ago about a, a, like a UFC camp, you know, weekend mm -hmm. camp and these guys get there and like, there's an hour. You might've heard this story. It might be a legend. I don't know. But the story I heard was, we're going to do an hour on Friday night and then we're going to do, you know, eight hours Saturday, eight hours Sunday. So all these blokes show up, you know, and uh, Friday yep. Arvo and they, they come into the octagon. The bloke's like, okay, so on the floor, there's a 10 foot, six inch square wooden beam on yep. the floor. And he goes, right, everybody line up here. I want you to walk across it. And so everybody kind of balances and walks across it in a line. He goes, now turn around and do it again. And they're thinking, oh yeah, this is a, this is a warm up exercise. Now do it again. Now do it again. Now do it again. They do nothing but walk across this wooden beam for an hour. Yeah. And then he goes, okay, see you guys in the morning. And they're thinking, this is a crap sort of a UFC thing. I want to learn how to strike and punch and grapple. Yeah. And so they come back the next morning and the same beam is in the octagon, except now it's suspended 10 feet off the floor and scaffolding. And he says, your first job is to climb up that ladder and walk across the beam that you walked across for an hour last night. And none of them can walk across it. They all yeah. fall up. And he said, he said, this is a mental game. And he said, if you're on, someone's on top of you, punching you in the face, you've got to be able to think, control your mind and think about, okay, there's an opening over here. If I can get my left foot here and twist this arm here. And he said, this just proves to you, you guys can't control your minds. I, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if you ever heard that story before, but I thought it was a great story to where he proved to them the first day that they can walk across this beam for an hour. Then the second yeah. day when they went to walk across it, they couldn't walk across it just because they were looking at the 10 foot drop and not the six inch beam. And then they, their focus yeah. was on where it shouldn't be. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have heard that one and I love it. I, I tell, I actually tell the like young guys, like young fighters and that, that exact story. Um, and it's so, man, it's such a, cause until I heard it, I'd never really thought about it either, but the point, like what he's, what the guy is saying about that or when he, when I heard it, it was, you've got to think, you got to think in terms of actions, not emotions, like what action will get me what I need. But then that can get lost in that people think that means don't be, don't have emotions. And it's not that it's like the ability to have them so controlled that you can, you know, like you can still think through the pressure of the situation, you know, and it's uh, the ability to, to work that out. And, and before you can work it out from none of us are good at it naturally. So before you can like, uh, work that out you've got a face that like went that's not me you know like i i'm not you know like uh, i make mistakes and under pressure i'm gonna i'm gonna get emotional and then that allows you to go back and strip everything back and start working on it so it's pretty uh that's a pretty cool thing to be able to learn yeah you know what total honesty here this is funny as hell because when uh todd asked me to go on this i thought yeah this would be cool and then he said there's an aussie fighter on here and a UFC fighter on here. And then I'm thinking, I don't know if this guy's going to really pick up what I'm putting down because I'm into some pretty weird shit these days. Oh, <laughs> so that's awesome. You're on the same wavelength. That's cool. Well, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm, I'm really trying to, um, I'm trying. So a lot of what I've kind of taking from in, in my, you know, process of learning and as far as training and and my work and everything else and i really feel like the, my whole purpose in in having this job and have been doing this and stuff was really preparing me for for actually for my kids right and so i my my kids have uh warwick you uh you you probably don't know but um but my kids come from um from a more of a trauma background. So they've yep. got, um, so where I, um, I joke about is that, you know, I, I had a pretty big, pretty good upbringing. I didn't have a lot. And, and I got kids that came with, you know, some baggage and some, uh, uh, trauma in their lives. And, and so now I have trauma. <laughs> so it's teaching me to how to handle it, but also 
like everything that I've learned in the training of horses completely applies to the training of my kids, right? And to helping them and 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 it kind of goes to the you know the oxygen mask and take care of yourself before you yeah. just kind of help the others, right? And it's been this really cool place for me to really like delve a lot deeper into what it is that I do as far as a trainer and and how how in nature everything there is in nature is applicable in everything in my life, right? Truth, it's truth is revealed always through through creation, right? And um, and so like a lot of what I'm thinking about and on my with my kids is is when they they come they have they have learned little coping mechanisms themselves, right? And until they learn how to deal with those coping mechanisms to where they can clear that out, they're they're not going to get to that next spot, right? They're not going to be able to you know, to, to be able to handle a, a rough situation or handle a, a, um, a, a, a situation that has a lot of um, outside noise, like the distractions and everything else it makes it really, really hard for them to be able to focus and do anything. And they're just, you know, they're trying to in, take in, uh, you know, take in all the, the things that are around them. At the same time, it just, it, it will make everything like bounce off the walls for them. And until they learn how to control themselves on it, they really can't address that. Um, and just kind of the same thing, right? With the beam and, and everything else with, you know, it's the same thing with my kids, you know, so they can, you know, stop and slow down and think their way through it and be able to deal with the situation. They're not gonna, you know, they won't move to the next spot. It's kind of a cool correlation between the two. Everything's connected. That's yeah. what I'm realizing these days. Everything's connected. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it really is. Thanks for listening to the Go Time Podcast with Todd Martin and Brendan O'Reilly. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Go Time Ranch so you can come work with us each day to learn, have fun, and be inspired. For information on bookings and merchandise, please visit www.gotimeranch.com.